Welcome to another episode of Don't Worry About It with Neeks. And on today's episode, we have uh, two great friends of mine and uh, teammates <clears throat> who are both abroad in Liverpool right now. Uh, welcome, Andrew Barkidja and Bernie White. Thanks for having us, Neeks. Happy to have you guys. Yeah, very happy to have you guys. Um, so we were talking a bit before about oh, catching up, really. And uh, so how is life in Liverpool, really? Life's in, life in Liverpool has been uh, quite different. You know, we came over expecting um, a COVID-free environment uh, where we'd, we'd be able to travel, you know, we'd be able to work, uh, we'd be able to see different parts of Europe, the UK. Unfortunately, that's been kind of cut short due to the situation that's going on in, in uh, you know, the UK. The COVID has, seems to be spiking up and uh, we've been restricted to a certain area of Liverpool, but nonetheless, my personal experience, you know, not having been outside of London for more than two weeks, um, it's been quite fascinating. And I really love, um, really love the culture of Liverpool. I really get the in-ground kind of sense of uh, culture that Liverpool brings from, you know, from Merseyside. And so um, it's been, it's been a great experience so far. It's something I would have never expected before. Um, and, and, you know, the day-to-day -day life is, is not something I would have experienced as, as a tourist, uh, you know, traveling to UK from, for, for a vacation. Um, and so, so far, it's been, it's been quite the experience, I would say. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm really familiar with, with this area. Obviously, I was born here, lived here for seven years and then before I moved to the U.S. But so I'm obviously like much more in touch with like Liverpool's culture and everything than Bark. But I think you know, like Bark said, a lot of people think about the UK, they think about big city, London, um, kind of, if you go to London, it's a very international place. And not that that's, that's obviously a great thing. But you know, I think when you come to the north, northern part of more northern part of England, Liverpool and Manchester and Newcastle, you, you kind of see you still see the big cities of England, but you kind of get a more authentic taste of what of what the true English culture is like. And, you know, I'm excited that that Bart could Bart could join me here and um it's been it's definitely been like Bark said it's been maybe not what, exactly what we expected but in some ways I think it's like a blessing in disguise um uh not obviously not that COVID is rising rapidly here but the fact that we've maybe stayed in Liverpool more than we expected and you know um just been experiencing the culture here it's been it's been a good time so far yeah that's good to hear so <clears throat> in uh in the UK, I haven't heard much. I mean, as in ranch life, you're really off the grid here. Um, but is, is there a cause as to why um, it started spiking up again? It seemed like you guys were going out more and more. And then again, you were saying that it, or it, was, it was seen that um, restaurants and bars were closing at, closing at 10. Um, what, was it because it was opening up so much? Yeah, so... So I think first of all, if you if you look at like um, there's a there's plenty of there's plenty of you know like government published information on COVID in the UK, and if you look at a map of England, a lot of the hotspots are within big northern cities, so like Liverpool, Manchester, Newcastle. I think are probably the three worst places in England right now. Yeah. Um, um, Liverpool. We read the the last weekly report. The positivity testing rate was around twenty four percent. So that basically one in four people who are being tested are testing positive for COVID. Um, and to kind of answer your question, um, I think it's definitely because 
things open back up so quickly. So basically when we, when, when, when we got here, I think it was basically like everyone was under the impression that, you know, COVID was under control, very few cases in Liverpool, like people. And then I think it was actually on the 4th of July, um, everything basically opened back up as normal. And before that they were in like a full lockdown. So it went from full lockdown to totally open. Yeah. And um, I think people just kind of went about, went back about their lives and as COVID has shown time and time again, if you let people go back to normal, it's going to spread like crazy. And I think that's what kind of Liverpool and a lot of British cities have experienced. Yeah. So I'd say similar to that, kind of like the U.S. in the sense that um, it's tougher to keep our generation uh, enclosed in, 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 a, in a tight space for long periods of time. Students have gone back to universities um, right at the beginning of September and right when they went back, um, you know, no cities had restrictions, no cities even had, you know, I didn't even hear about the six foot rule until um, cases started spiking up again. And so with students going back to university uh, with the lack of restriction, I think the government was a bit late to the game in terms of uh, implementing more restrictions and so once the kids went back once kids started going out uh that really allowed COVID to kind of be brought back into the bigger cities like liverpool manchester london's probably going to be soon as well um and so that's why we're seeing more of uh, a harder lockdown on, on the bigger cities like like the one we're living in now and i would also say just quickly i think um you know like i think i think i saw something on on twitter the other day it was like a thousand students at at a new university of newcastle tested positive and i think i think you see a lot of the time in the u.s the american news likes to a lot of american news outlets like to you know talk about the u.s like it's in a really bad situation with corona which it is but it's important to remember like the rest of the world is also in a really bad situation like like the you the UK, I don't know how it's being reported. And you said you haven't been looking that much, um, but like the UK is in a really bad situation right now. Like I had never, well, the whole time I was in the US, I had never heard of a positivity testing rate of like anything over like even ten percent. And yeah, like it, here it's twenty four percent. Like I think the world is just in a really bad place right now. Yeah, I mean, I I can speak to that. I mean, with Argentina, my my cousins and a lot of my family's back there and man, it is bad. And it is, it's to the extent that like they have these restrictions and even if they're still being followed, they're still not, you can't control everyone. And especially in a, in a, in a route, I mean, in a free society, I mean, like you said, Bark in the, um, in the U S I mean, you can't, you can't really keep anyone between the age of 15 and 25 in a, in closed doors for very long, um, unless you're quarantined, obviously. And even being quarantined, I mean, you're still trying to find your, your ways around it. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it, that's definitely true. I mean, you can see the main, I'll see a lot on social media, like everyone's always complaining that we're handling this horribly and Donald Trump's handling this horribly. And while, you know, it is, he, there could always be a better handling of the situation, there also could be a lot worse, you know, and especially we don't, we, we now know a lot more about this virus than we did, you know, however many months, whenever this started, 
uh, six, seven months ago. So, or even more, I mean, eight months. I mean, you know, when it really came into the US, a big effect, it was, we had no idea. I mean, we thought there was gonna be a big death rate originally. Everyone was scared. I remember, I remember when we were, we were unpacking everything. It was like, you, Bernie, you were washing your hands every time you were cleaning your room. Like, obviously the room isn't very clean, but as is like, there was those kind of fears already. We were, right. we were definitely worried. And then now we know, and I mean, yes, it's very high spreading. That's something that we've, you can't deny. The spreading is insane with this virus. It is, the, is one of the easiest things to spread. And I mean, but the, the death rate, at least amongst, amongst uh, people our age, and I mean, between the ages of like, I think they say it's like 19 to 64, the death rate's really low. And so that, that also kind of comes into effect. And I, like, it's not, I'm not trying to downplay this virus. I'm not trying to say that there aren't people dying because there are people dying and there are people dying in our age because there's still a percentage. There's a risk factor. Um, and I think the, like thinking back on um, the way you guys were saying about how uh, the UK handled it, where it went full lockdown and then just immediately opened, that doesn't, that can't work. I mean, there has to be a gradual, as we see, I mean, there has to be a gradual, you know, implementation of series of um, restrictions and I mean, minor restrictions, you know, maintaining a mask, maintaining social distancing, um, maintaining a, uh, a consistent like availability of washing your hands and um, you know, just certain little things. And then you, you kind of, and it keeps you aware of the fact that there's still a virus out here and we still don't know everything. There is no cure. You know, it's not like the flu. I mean, in the, in hopefully in the long run, it becomes something like the flu where we have, we have a vaccine coming in every year and we're, we're still on the, we're still aware of it, but we're not freaking out. I mean, I've seen some people, I've heard about it and you see it on Twitter as well. There are some people freaking out. Some people are genuinely scared. And that, I mean, I can't, I can't say like this irrational fear, you know, just fix it. No, I can't, I can't tell them that, but I can also say that there has to be a, a, a little balance. I mean, definitely a balance in that, there has to be, which, I mean, I've seen in, in some states in the U.S., they've kind of, they've handled it a bit better where there's, um, there's phases. I think in Maryland, they're doing that. There's a, I think they did three phases and it was slowly opening up specific, you know, parks, uh, restaurants and, um, you know, museums, certain buildings and stuff like, and just certain areas that uh, a lot of people will convene in. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it seems, it seems really weird that, especially in the UK that, and it, I mean, a lot of places in Europe, they've just kind of started just snap back. And then, and then again, you're seeing the, the consequences of that. And you guys are, it's starting to lock down up again, which, which is a shame, but you know, you live and learn, um, which leads- I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk too much about COVID because yeah, no, it I gets, know, it gets depressing. It, I know it, gets, it gets depressing, but like, I will say one thing, like it's not like, you know, Bark and I, Bark and I have had it now. Um, and from my personal experience, like I think it, me having it changed my, it did de definitely change my perspective on it. Like, I think for, for almost, for like most people our age, it's like the only thing I had really was that I lost my smell and taste. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was like, like you said, at first I was like super freaked out about it. Like I like, and, and everyone was cause nobody knew what it was, but I think, as more information comes out about it, as more people get it and experience it for them, like, and we get more data on it, I think 
people will come to more rational conclusions. And I think, I think everybody has to be, I think everyone should be careful, not just for themselves, but for the greater good. Because as you said, there are people dying from it, especially people in higher risk categories. And that's the, that's similar with other diseases, such as even the flu kills a lot of people who are in high risk categories for that as well. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's definitely, it's definitely been interesting to just see how the world has been like shaken by it. And now hope now we'll see how, how people adapt and, you know, learn from, from the data coming out. So now I would say one thing to that, Bernie and I had very different symptoms. Um, Bernie losses, uh, smell and taste. I personally had strep like symptoms, so I couldn't swallow. I could barely talk. Um, it sounded like I've been a smoker for about 70 years of my life. Um, so I understand how it can affect different people in various ways. And I think that's an important fact to consider because everyone, every single young, young adult between the ages of, I don't know, 19 and 24, let's say that I've talked to has gotten it. People that I know that people, they know, no one, no one has had more severe symptoms than losing smell and taste. So like when I talked to my friends and I told them I lost, you know, I had strep like symptoms, they were like, that's really weird. That's nothing like I've experienced before, like never heard of that before. So I think the point to that is there might be the majority of people might have very, very limited symptoms, but at the same time, at least in the U S there's about 200,000 people that died. Yeah. And rightfully so there might be, you know, an argument to be made that they were from pre, pre-existing conditions from, you know, any sort of disease about the elderly, you know, to, to cancer in 35 year olds. I don't think it really matters at the end of the day is because at they died. Like yeah. COVID didn't help, COVID didn't help the situation. Absolutely. Um, and surely it, you know, it, it, it had to have made it worse by a little bit. And so I think from my personal experience, it affects everyone differently. And, and personally, I'm not scared of of covid you know i wouldn't be scared if my brother got covid but my brother and i had covid at the same time my mom traveled from my brother uh in in, from st petersburg to moscow where my grandparents live and and met my grandparents and and from that three-day period i was worried that my mom had covid and that she gave it to my grandparents you know my grandpa had a you know quintuple bypass like in march so he if if my grandparents had got he he they surely would have um, really struggle with it. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because we might be fine with it. And, you know, the majority of our friends and and family might be fine with it. But at the end of the day, there are people who are struggling with asthma, who are struggling with, you know, preexisting conditions, regardless of the preexisting conditions, they might be doing fine with their preexisting conditions, but if COVID adds onto it, that might become a more serious factor. And I think that's an important thing to consider. Um, in talking about how dangerous and, 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 and how deadly COVID can be. Um, I would like to add the differences in, in, in country, the way countries handle it. And I have no, I, you know, I, I have no opinion on this. I would just like to point out the fact just, you know, for the, for the conversation, I, we've been in the UK, we've been in the USA and how they've been dealing with it. My grandma called me and my mom have called me you know, a couple of times asking how I'm feeling, how I'm doing. And both of them asked me, you know, like what medications are you taking? Have you seen the doctor? What have they given you? You know, what, what prescribed medication are they giving you to, you know, treat COVID? And 
you know, to my astoundment, I'm like, you know, I'm just taking cough drops and, yeah. and you know, throat spray to fucking deal with it. There's prescribed and, medication. <laughs> no, no, listen, listen, the way, the way that some countries are dealing with it and whether that's, I have no idea whether it's effective or not. I have no idea if people are getting better, getting worse, doesn't matter at all. All I'm saying is that there's governments out there that are, that are actively trying to um, prevent the spread of COVID and, the pre and, and trying to um, help those affected by COVID with, with certain medications. So when my grandma asked me, you know, like, are you, are you, have you gone, has a doctor seen you? Are, do you have insurance for a doctor? Have you gone to a doctor? Because in Russia, as whatever you might think of it, the government there, it is required for you to see a doctor multiple times. After you have COVID, you have to test three times negative wow. in order to be let out into you know, free society. And, and they're, they're actively you know, giving you medication to feel better, to, to, to fight COVID. I'm not saying it's a vaccine, but they are actively trying oh, to... The, the, whatever, whatever they think is the best resource to treating COVID, that's what they're using. And I think it's a telling story because for them, my grandparents in Russia, my mom, my brother, it, this is not part of, oh, how much do I pay for insurance? Yeah. You know, this is, this is part of a government, um, you know, sponsored program to really try to treat their citizens. And I think that's an important factor to consider in the world today. Um, as we look at Western, um, politics as we look at western medicine because at the end of the day they their medication might, might not do anything but it might do something yeah and the fact that their that their government is willing to uh provide for their citizens um and, and ensure the fact that they're dealing with a, a situation that is clearly harmful to society mm. or clearly harmful to a population i think is telling um compared to what we're dealing with here where as I said, I'm taking cough drops and throat spray and, and you know, people are back home are going, going to every school possible, state yeah. school possible to have a good time. I think it's yeah. a telling comparison um, between the, the priorities of, of each of each society and, 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 and um, honestly, just, just, just how governments work. Well, and I, I agree. I mean, I definitely, you see that with, like you said, with Russia and all this, uh, all these other countries, I mean, there's definitely other countries that are definitely experimenting. And now to counter that, I would totally agree with the experimentation of, you know, certain drugs and certain medications and whatnot. And that, I mean, in a government or in a, in a, in a democratic coming, a free society as we live in, we, have there's a series of you know there's tests that need to be made there's regulations that need to be passed and there's there's a certain standard that i mean we've seen with um with vaccination i mean with the you know the the studies of vaccination they've helped ramp up with investments but also the fda has now allowed uh multiple companies i mean especially with testing too i mean they're they're allowing to use their own forms of testing but now they're doing the same thing with these these companies trying to find vaccines and I don't, I'm not saying that that's more efficient. I'm saying, I think that's a consideration of, of, um, I, I don't want to say human lives, but like, for example, 
we were hearing there's a lot of talk about like different things being helpful. Like every single, for a while, I was for a couple weeks, I remember in the summer, there were a number, number of things that were being called like the next cure or something that will help treatment or that will, you know, slow the effects of COVID. And mm-hmm. I have, I mean, I like even hydroxychloroquine, which is to me, it sounds ridiculous, but it actually came that like, those, those are, no, that was actually helpful in the early stages of, of, of um, contracting the virus. And that, I mean, people were considering, but that's not something you prescribe. And I'm not saying I agree with that, but that was something that we were seeing in some people. They were, they were taking this, I don't even know what it actually is, but it's a liquid, I think. I think it's, like, I think it's, it's traditionally for malaria. Okay, it's like yeah. Malaria. So it, it has treatment in something else, and it... it um, and so it, it was, it, it worked in that sense to some people. And I think that's different than like when you're seeing in, in Russia, that is they're giving prescribed medication that may or may not work. And that's, that's a risk factor that they're willing to take. And I think here, because we have all these um, regulations, like I said, and testing and a standard of medicine that is not, is not socialized. Like when you see, you have to pay for insurance, you have to pay for doctor's visits, you have to pay for all, all these things versus when you go to other countries, medication and, or Medicare and aid is, um, is paid for by the government. And so that's, they're willing to, because it's the government, they're putting their trust in the government. I think that plays a lot into the decision-making and, um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, really, it's the decision making and the implementation of certain um, what they might, I guess, like medicines. So I don't know. I mean, I would I th- also I would also say that I think another effect, an effect of today's society and, um, you know, Bark, Bark and I recently I don't know if you've seen the, the movie on Netflix, The Social Dilemma. Yeah, um, like I think I think and th- it's kind of related, but like. I think a lot of a lot of what we a lot of what happens in today's society is everyone wants something to happen so quickly and we're literally just used to be we're we're now just programmed to be able to access information so quickly we expect things to happen at a rapid pace so like and it's this is all progressed so quickly this 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 strand of covid is something we st- and and this is another reason why some some medications have worked for certain people they haven't worked for other people yeah. We really like in the grand scheme of things, we really know very little about it. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of what we, we're looking for in today's society is an instant, you know, people want instant gratification. People want something that's going to, that's going to cure the virus immediately. But if you look at past diseases, vaccines have taken decades to, yeah, you know, years, become years. effective. And I think that's just something we all have to keep in mind. Like I know for, like for us, we talk about things, we, we talk about things that we think are like long-term, mm-hmm. like, you know, we're going to take this semester off of school and we're going to go back next semester. and It's going to be totally fine. Yeah. A semester sounds like a long time to us, but in reality, it's such a short amount of time. It's a few months. It's like, yeah. I just, think, I think that's, that's another big problem that the entire world is having right now with COVID. It's, it's people are looking for, for things in the short term. Or, or, yeah, people, are, people are looking for immediate solution and people are even when people talk about long term, um, it's really long-term in today's, in today's society is not long-term. It's, it's not such long. a, like a minute, like months, um, weeks. Yeah. It's, I just think there's, there's a lot to be said for that as oh, well. I agree. And I mean, 
and the social dilemma speaks to that. I mean, we, as people, we are a stimulus driven species. We like things to be happening. So we make things happening. Reality isn't like that. Not much happens in reality over time. You give, you give someone, I mean, you just, when you think of, like you said about uh, previous viruses, these have taken, I mean, certain vaccines have taken decades um, and we're expecting a virus to, exi to exist in March, which to like, now that speaks also to the standards of modern medicine. I mean, we've seen how far we've come. We've found new virus, for example, the flu. Every year there's a new virus, there's a new strand. That is, we're following it and we're keeping it going. So there's a point that we need to reach which is knowing what this, how this virus is, what's the cure, and where do we go with it? What's the next step? So, and going back to the social dilemma, like that, that constant, um, I guess it's constant flow of information that we're getting, could half of it's noise. I mean, no, even like 75% yeah. of it's oh, right. noise. And it's, stuff that, it's stuff that isn't, isn't helpful to us, it's absolutely doesn't affect us and will not have an effect in the long term. And when I say long term, I'm saying years, many years in advance, not, not as like what we've considered, we've come to consider. And that, and so, I mean, and I'm actually to kind of jump on the tangent of the social dilemma, that was a big wake up call in, yeah. in my experience with my phone, with my computer, with specifically my social media, uh, email, just any form of communication that isn't interpersonal physically is it's, it's really distorted. I mean, we see when you see on social media, we look on Instagram, we're looking at straight pictures and some captions. I don't even read captions for the most part. Like we're looking at a picture that is most likely heavily edited. We're looking at Instagram we're looking at videos as well. Facebook has the same thing. And they've, and the big thing you'll see is like you go on the explore page and you jump on, you, you'll have just liked a series of soccer pictures or something, or maybe you follow a series of soccer accounts. That's all I see now. Like that's, I just see soccer videos on my explore, soccer pictures, transfer rumors. There's a just and I, I definitely like during the summer, during the summer, it was like, oh, it was, it was like, so, so I was in Michigan for most of the summer. And, you know, in Michigan, there's not much to do in a lockdown other than go to the golf course. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, I was going playing golf a lot um, with my family. Um, it was like something to keep me busy. And I would, you know, I would go on my phone and all of a sudden, for the first time ever, I'm getting, getting like barraged with golf ads, yeah. go on TikTok. Every video was like, how to improve your golf swing. It's like, it's like these 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 platforms are like know you better than you know yourself yeah. like they know what you want to see they know what you're they know what you're into at the at that exact moment and, well, and they I mean, try to catch in on it absolutely. one thing i want to say real quick is that one thing i've noticed and i think i mean bernie bernie and i have, have discussed this before the way that news in general is portrayed here and i, I would say portrayed in general around the world because you know i still watch news from russia i still watch news from you know croatia like the way that news is portrayed in other countries compared to the united states is is extremely extremely different mm -hmm. and in the way that you, you you turn on the public radio 
here, you know, we're, we're driving to work, we're listening to the public radio. You hear the news network of the nation. You know, you don't hear two sides of the story. You don't hear uh, a, a polar opposite, you know, opinion of what's going on. You hear, you hear, you hear straight story. facts. You, you hear, the, you hear story. straight story. facts. And I'm not talking about liberal, conservative. I'm saying you hear the details of the story and you make your own opinion. It's as and a, that's, the, that's the very, very big difference between the rest of the world, really. I mean, you know, outside of extremely communist countries, extremely, you know, fascist countries, like, like countries that understand the principles of democracy. Yeah. You have countries demonstrating what the real news is based on facts and you let the people decide. And that's the one thing that I've learned about the US, United States is that as of, you know, I'd say even, you know, before Trump, I'd say even eight years ago, even more, 2013, even when Obama got elected, you have different networks representing different ideas about what's going on rather than having facts mm-hmm. presented in facts. Public, given to the public and, and and have them decide and it's also just a level of respect like yeah no. like uh, on the on the bbc they when they when they're talking about the presidential race they refer to trump as mr trump and they refer to biden as mr biden yeah you listen to the, you listen to you listen to fox news you hear sleepy joe yeah. you 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 watch cnn they're talking about like donnie yeah they're talking about like stupid donald trump like and yeah. don't get me wrong these like both of those guys have their flaws plenty of them especially trump mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know like the news here i i think we've we've both just been like kind of refreshed by the fact that you know like the news here they report and trust me then it's not like it's not like they're they're protecting trump's flaws or they're protecting yeah. Biden's flaws. they just tell you what happened and they refer to it with a level level of respect and then you you're still able to come to a conclusion yeah. for yourself of what happened and and off and it's just kind of nice to hear. It's nice to hear something presented in a, a more straight line point of view rather than, Absolutely. you know, you, when you're watching news in the U S you sometimes are like, you can just, you, while you're watching, you're just like, this is whether you like it or not, this is, this is being twisted in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've never seen, I don't go, I don't watch the news. I don't watch CNN or Fox news, but the moments where I do, where I have seen it, it is so like whenever they're talking about something against, you know, that is, let's say Fox news talking about the left or CNN talking about the right. It's so negative. It's so biased and you see it and you can feel it. Like there, you can hear the tone in the, even in the tone in their voice, there's a negativity. There's a, there's a polarization and there's a, and even, and it makes it worse by watching those news because those, those, um, the presenters, they're always, they're, they have an agenda, which is, you know, push for our side, push for the Republicans, push for the, for the Democrats. And there hasn't, I, and I'm happy I don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news pretty much ever, like actively really watch the news. Yeah. I, and even, even on social media, that's not news, but I hear about things. You see things, you get notifications and there's still a bias and the, the hardest thing that has been for me, at least, is finding the, the kind of uh, unnodding it and finding the objectivity and the truth and finding that is, oh, this happened. Not, and you'll see, like, for example, 
anything that happens with Donald Trump, it's because he's a fascist. It's because he hates black people. It's because he does, he hates, he hates Hispanic people. He hates Muslims. He hates uh, liberals. He hates, he hates everyone is what the concept on CNN is. And then you see on, on, uh, on Fox, it's like sleepy Joe, like you said, or it's like Joe Biden is going to be run like a, uh, like a toy and Kamala Harris is going to run this country in the ground. They're not going to run this country into the ground. I'm not saying I know enough, but I know that a democracy takes years, years to fully dis to take from one position to dismantle and take down via democracy. Now you can have a rebellion, you can have wars, you can have a civil war. Those that's obviously a very dramatic change and something that takes very little time compared to what um, a democracy has allowed us to do, which is have, um, you know, series of changes. I mean, you see there's some extreme changes, but it again affects certain number of people. And now I'm not invested enough in politics to know exactly who those people are affecting. And I see, I mean, you see on like um, on these news, you can find somewhere in the middle. But I'm, I mean, I'm glad you guys are seeing real news. That is what news is supposed to be. And I mean, and I actually just finished um, The Wire, which I highly recommend you guys. It is easily one of the best shows I've ever watched and considered as one of the best shows ever. And the last season is um, the fifth season. They the one, I guess the main, because um, they always have, it's basically kind of based with the police. There's the uh, drug users, drug dealers. And then there's kind of like an um, extra or not a, an external um, variable that comes in. And in this one, it's the Baltimore Sun, which is the, the local newspaper. And it's a highly regarded newspaper. And you see how there's, there's an agenda, even if, even if there's news there, even if there is no news there, there's something that needs to be written for someone else. And it's someone else that they're appeasing to. And, um, and it's flawed and it sucks because you don't, you don't, it's like you said, you can formulate opinions based on the news that you guys are hearing. You're hearing a respectful, objective, as objective as possible, because it's very hard to be fully 100% objective because we have a, our, own, um, our own biases regardless of, of uh, in which direction they go. Um, but it's a shame that we can't, we're, it's, and like going back to the social dilemma, you're not allowed to think for yourself. You're not allowed to formulate this opinion because it's driven into you. And in social media, it's, it's like, oh, you liked these posts? You liked that um, neo-Marxist posts? Well, let's give you some more, um, you know, socialist ideas. Give you and that's, what I, that's what I meant by, you know, like these, these platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, yeah. they, they, you know, like in some ways they know you better than you know yourself because they, they know for a fact what you've liked. They know mm -hmm. how much time you spent looking at a certain post. Yeah. And, and like it said in the, in the movie, you know, they, those platforms are their their intent is to feed you what you want. And you, you end up wondering how can someone, how can someone on the opposite of, of the opposite opinion be how so can they think like that? How can they be such an idiot? How can yeah. they, how can they have these opinions? Well, it's because they've been fed them and because, yeah. because they've been, they've only been listening to people who think in a similar way to them. I've only been, I've only like, and I think that's, that's something so important is to, as you know, this, I, th I thought the movie was great. And I think one of the great things it said is you need to, you need to look at stuff that you don't necessarily agree with because otherwise you're going to get trapped in a cycle of, of only listening to people who think similar to, similarly to you. And, um, you know, 
you're not going to be able to formulate your own opinions. Right. And I think, I think it's so important, mm-hmm. especially in today's world. Can I, can I say something to that? I think that really relates to the fact that some Villa supporters <laughs> really think that um, beating Liverpool is going to mean that they're not going to, you know, get relegated. <laughs> Um, they might get, actually get top 10. So I'd actually like to shift the point of topic to the fact that, you know, understandably, Manchester United lost to Tottenham 6-1 to one, with a red card, mind you. <laughs> I actually but like to make a point. We considered five goals with a red card. Um, four, actually. Oh, no. Four, four. You were losing 2-1 already. <laughs> no, no, but it, it yeah, would be yeah, five yeah. because we lost 6-1. to one. Um, that would be five. No, you're losing. Um, you're no, losing. No, 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 and then you got the final score. The final score was six to one. So we, we, you know, we had conceded five goals, six goals to our one. So the difference would be five. And that you guys conceded f- seven goals to to Villa's two. And that I would really love to discuss the situation going on in Merseyside regarding the back line. The goalkeeper, what the loss of Sadio Mane means to the team. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you it's know, a historic it's a historic weekend in general for English football. <laughs> um, it, it really is. Seeing Manchester City, last, I don't think I don't think we would have beat Spurs, but we definitely wouldn't have lost six to one if we hadn't had a red card. But it'd be great to get, get your opinion, Nico, on what. A seven to two loss to Aston Villa, who I, is about one point off relegation. You know <laughs> what that what that means to the club and what that means for English football. Well, I, I actually talked about this with a bit with Kofi um, last episode, and you know, as bad as it was, and I and I say it was bad because I actually managed the first full half, full forty five minutes I've gotten to watch since I got here is <laughs> was that game. And it was four to one at half, pretty heinous. Did not see it getting as, wet, as bad as it did, and it got worse. Um, that being said, first off, I have a counterpoint to the whole state of the club. Liverpool's going to be fine. They're going to move on. Life goes on. Now, Manchester United. I, no, no, no. I let me. Agree. Let me. Oh, I agree. I agree. You agree? Okay, good. No, because, I think. I think. I think we should appease Bark. I think. So first of all, let's talk about the Liverpool game because I think you know. Oh, yeah, let's go back. To I, that. I've been I so I follow I follow this this I I don't know what to call them. It's like a the Redmen TV. They have a YouTube. They have a Twitter. You know. Yeah, yeah. Probably probably the big one of the biggest Liverpool um, supporters groups or like supporter media. Yeah, um, maybe the biggest. And so I, I you know I listen to their podcast. I, I watch their YouTube. And one thing they said is you know talking about talking about a big loss, discussing what happened. And it helps you to get over it. So yeah. I think I think appease Bark, because trust me, we'll get to the United oh, game. No, we will, and we'll get to. Yeah, United. let's talk about the Liverpool. I think game. I think we should talk about the Liverpool game. Um, and I would just I I've I've formed my own opinions about it, but I want to hear what you have to say because I I yeah. would love to hear from another Liverpool supporter. Well, so and one thing I've come to appreciate about the system that Klopp runs and the defensive high line and the fact that we press a lot is that it's it's. It, when it goes, it's unbelievable to watch. It is so hard to stop. But when it breaks, it's, it's one of those that it really can break. And you can see it because, I mean, whenever, whenever Liverpool is lost, 
think of like the Watford game, 3 0. That was a poor showing as well. But when you look at like possession stats were equal, I mean, it was like they were still high. We still maintained a certain level of, of pressure. There were chances in both of those games, in both the 7 2 and in the 3 0. But when you lose, you lose badly because that system, once you figure it out, and you could see it in the, it was saying with the, um, the Liverpool Leeds game as well. That, that was something that you could see where Bielsa implemented a system that worked perfectly against Klopp's side. And, that, um, and that's something that is not, is not something that is uh, a long-term loss. It's not, and also, obviously, like you said, Barky, with Sadio Mane being out, we also didn't have Allison and we didn't have Thiago, who are some three. I mean, Thiago's only had like one and a half games. So he's not, but you can still see he has a significant effect in the style of play we have and the pressure we have. And obviously Allison is an an incredible goalkeeper and Sadio Mane, best in one of the best in the world. So I say, when I say that we lost badly and I accept that loss because I mean, I watching it, you could see they were just playing through it because they figured out that high line can be broken. You can get over it. There's a certain way that you play and a lot of teams you see, they cannot figure that out. I mean, you could, or they will, but they refuse to change that style of play. And Aston Villa adjusted really well. You know, they, they managed to keep, maintain a certain um, number of players defending while uh, letting, allowing to unlock uh, Grealish, Watkins, Ollie Watkins. Um, you know, Barkley got a lot of play in it, and I can't remember the other winger. But those guys, they... It took them like four touches to get up the field because they were just jumping over that back line. And so, like I said earlier, it's a system that once it breaks, it goes down like hard, like the Titanic type. So I'm not worried in the long run of, of this, like the direction, because I think it's something that like you learn from. You learn that, all right, this system can break as any system in soccer goes. You can see that there's there's flaws in every game there. The only way a system works perfectly is with the right players, with the right coaching and the right implementation of that system. And so this is, I think it's not as bad as it's seen. Obviously seven to two is heinous. I mean, there was like three deflection goals. Adrian likes Aston Villa. So that it, it just doesn't help. There's a series of play. And obviously, and like I said earlier, Liverpool had chances. They were creating chances. They couldn't capitalize. That's part of soccer. You know, a, a huge part of it is your luck. And, yeah. and luck is not something you control. It's just something you can take advantage of. So in my opinion, I don't think it's as bad as it looks. I still think it's something that, like, I, you can't just brush off. You can't ignore. I mean, it's clearly – it speaks to the fact that the system can be broken and we need to know how to – you know, plug those holes and build on that. So that's mine. I don't think I would, I I have a few things to say about the game, obviously, but first of all, I would definitely agree with you. I think, and I think another, another point to make is that in some ways it's remarkable that, you know, when you, when you do think about, when you think about um, Liverpool in the, in the last few seasons and you think about their big losses, you know, you've got the, you've got the three and obviously seven conceding seven goals in itself is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be overlooked. But you think about the losses, as you mentioned, the Watford game. Conceding three goals to Watford isn't good. We lost away to Barca 3-0 in a game that we got pretty unlucky. Um, you know, we, like as you said, we conceded three goals to three goals to Leeds, which 
you wouldn't you wouldn't expect. Yeah. But like I think it, in some ways it's remarkable that it makes it even more remarkable the run that Liverpool had last year. I think they won they won a ridiculous. It was like they won their first twenty or they were undefeated in their first twenty something league games, like which is just incredible. Or it was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> you know, like also with just just in terms of soccer, you can get you can get stuck in this mindset of like you need perfection, but soccer and fo- football, as as they call it here, is such an unpredictable game as we know. And so I think you have to appreciate you have to appreciate teams such as Liverpool last season. You know, with Amherst last season, we had an unbelievable year. You know, mm-hmm. going undefeated in the regular season, that doesn't happen without a little bit of luck. We definitely had some luck. I'm somehow megged a kid from Khan, you know, like that easily could have been turned over and we could have lost two. Yeah. I think soccer is just, that's what makes it a beautiful, like people call it the beautiful, beautiful game. game. That's what makes it so beautiful is that in some ways it's like, it's also the most unpredictable sport in the world. Any team can beat another team on their day. Um, so that's that. But in terms of the Aston Villa game, I'm not going to expand too much on it because you've already said a lot of good things. Um, I think that being a goalkeeper myself, I think that not having Allison was a huge deal, especially the fact that he was ruled out so late. I think that can really unsettle the team exactly. and Adrian, especially with Adrian backup keeper is always going to be, especially in the Premier League when the starting keepers are usually like world-class Yeah, your backup, just in terms of roster management, you can't have a world-class backup keeper unless you're unless you get lucky in the case like United this season has Dean Henderson because um, he was a homegrown product, but you know, Adrian is a good goalkeeper. I'm not going to deny, like, I do think Adrian is a good goalkeeper. I'm not going to sit yeah, here and say that, but he, he does make mistakes. There's goalkeepers that are in, that are mistake prone and he is one of them. And I think Liverpool got unlucky that he had, didn't have one of his best days. You know, I, he played against Arsenal a few days before and had a great game, kept the shutout, yeah. came down to penalties and you Penalties are 50-50. Um, so I think it was one of those days where Liverpool, a few Liverpool players had some of their worst performances for the club. Joe Gomez, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I think some of the Aston Villa players had some of their best games of their career. Absolutely. Ollie Watkins scoring a hat trick. Jack yeah. Grealish looked unreal. Tyron Barkley had a good debut. Barkley was good there. Um, but, you know, I think in so, it's one of those things you just have to take you have to take it on the chin. You, you have take to take it in stride. Yeah, and and I, I'm not as a Liverpool supporter. I'm I'm unhappy about the result, but I'm not concerned about the result. And I think I will say this. I think the next game is against Everton away. That's and I think, a telling game. I think Klopp, Klopp will have the team really fired up for it, and I think it's going to be a huge, a huge, a very telling sign of you know, the mentality. And that's one of the things Liverpool's been so good at over the last few seasons is the mentality. And I think I, I, I'm expecting a really good performance next game and I'm expecting a strong lineup. And I think, yeah. you know, I, if, if we lose to Everton, I think there's another discussion to be had, but well, that's, I, I think that's, for now, for now we, we just have to take the Villa game for what it was. It was a tough away game without fans and I think we just need to bounce back. It's now I want to say something yeah. regarding, regarding that. The, the game? Regarding the whole situation on the weekend. Okay. Surely the Liverpool fans may be worried about the game 
maybe worried about the next game against Everton. Us as Man United supporters, we are worried about the whole year. Every game, every day. Is every, a no, no, listen. We are worried about every single matchup. We have absolutely, as, as, a, as a strong Man United supporter, speaking with other Man United supporters, we have absolutely no confidence <laughs> in the next game, let alone the whole season. <laughs> Look, we were going into the season thinking we were going to be top four easily. We finished. You had reason. You no, had, we reason. had reason. No, that's true. We had reason. We finished. We finished the season last year after after the whole break. We finished undefeated. Many wins, couple ties, no losses. Mm-hmm. We had really banked on the fact that our board was going to bring in players that were going to bring a success. Yeah. Well, now, as we saw, we brought in veterans of the game. No disrespect. No disrespect. But I can't say they were the next Jaden Sancho. I can't say they were the next, you know, epitome of English football. Yeah. Surely, surely they might last a season or two, just like Ibra was, just like San- Sanchez was, just like uh, Mkhitaryan was. They're not going to change the game of football mm-hmm. for Manchester United. And that's the biggest problem that we have. Yeah. You need so, consistency. After, especially after losing to Crystal Palace. Absolutely getting dominated by Spurs. I mean, to be fair, getting by Brighton, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that game, you know, I'm not going to complain. But the fact of the matter is, we got lucky. Look, we could easily be down 0-3 right now. And nobody would, would be asking questions regarding why that happened. But many questions will be asking about our squad. And so the fact of the matter is, as far as Liverpool might lose 7-2, no, no one is looking beyond two or three games for Liverpool. The Manchester United supporters are looking beyond the Every. entire season, the next two seasons, the next three seasons. Yeah. As long as our board remains, we are not going to have success as a football club. We are not going to have the same success as Sir Alex Ferguson had between – the years that he was successful. Because let's so, be honest, you, for United, and Bark, Barker knows this, for United, it's not about winning games. It's about winning the league. It's about yeah. winning the championship. No, it's, and right, it's a nowhere. standard. We are nowhere. No, look, listen, listen. We got – we finished the, street, the season strong last year. Finishing third, probably fourth. Doesn't – like, I mean, realistically, yeah. finishing fourth was just as fine as finishing third just because we <laughs> came down the last game of the season. But – Fact of the matter is, we're nowhere near Man City. We're nowhere near Liverpool. And if you look at the way the transfer the transfer window has gone for us, Everton brought in players. Their players are playing absolutely brilliant right now. Yeah, Tottenham. They have about three or four weeks until Bale comes back. Until they have a, this one of the strongest front three in the Prem, let alone the world. We have obviously Man City. We have obviously Liverpool. You know, we we can't. We're right now. We are not competing with the top best six. In the prem, yeah. and we might get by. We might get by because of lucky calls. We might get by because you know someone has a breakaway, someone has a penalty. It doesn't matter. We might get by, but that doesn't mean we're gonna we're gonna achieve our goal under Ole, under the board, under the squad that we have. It is just not possible, in my opinion, yeah. and not only my opinion, but my, the opinion of the other fans that I you know that I've grown to know. 
And the worst problem of it all is that I don't see an offset out of all of this. I don't see, you know, the board coming into this, you know, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be a build-up season. Oh, this is going to be, you know, a growing season for Ole. Ole's been, in, you know, in charge for about two or three years now. The board hasn't backed him at all. At all. When you say you know, backed, financially? Financially, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. The amount of times we, we, we've been rumored to have players <laughs> and that we haven't signed, we're literally a fucking showcase. The amount of – We're a bunch of mannequins. No, listen, we're a bunch of mannequins. <laughs> we're literally lined up on State Street and we're a bunch yeah, of mannequins. Yeah. Because you know why? We're not willing to spend. And I don't care. It doesn't make sense. Hey, whether that's lockdown, whether that's whatever. One of the biggest clubs in the world. Do you, I don't understand how Everton, how Tottenham, how even Wolves. Wolves are, Wolves are able to sign N- Nelson Semedo. Yeah. Do you, know, do you realize who we signed? We signed an 18 from Uruguay. You know, that's terrible. That's absolutely unacceptable from the, for the Manchester United supporters. Absolutely unacceptable. If we don't turn ourselves around – and you know what? We might finish top four. We might. With the luck of God, we might finish, finish top especially, four. Especially we'll finish top ten. We'll finish <laughs> top ten. And if we don't, we'll finish top six. And even top six, I would be happy with, with the current state of our club. But the way, that I'm, the way that I see our club now, there is absolutely no way we finish top four. And I would be lucky, lucky to see us qualify for the, for, for the Europa League. Least, what do you think? What do you think about United? Few things. First off, yeah, your signings garbage. I mean, although Alex Tellez, that's a big okay. signing for you guys. Yeah, could be playing back for our captain. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. No, I could be sitting on the bench and Tails could be playing captain. <laughs> I could. I could just go through every single player in the squad that has played so far and give you every reason why they should never ever start again. That's not what I'm going to do because it's not worth my time. That being said. When you look at you look at this quality of the players you have, for the most part, I mean they're respectable. Like their performances, probably not. But like you look at Harry Maguire, what he came in, most expensive center back in the world. He was he was um, slated to be the greatest center back that Manchester United should have ever, and that hasn't even come close. Not even close. Then you look at um, you look at your you look at David de Gea. That is supposed to be one of the best center backs or goalies in the world. You look, he's supposed to be the starting goalkeeper for Spain. He's not even the starting goalkeeper for Spain. You look at. Um, he is. No, no, he is. Kepa's yeah. been starting too, which is fucking oh, ridiculous to me. Both are awful. Both are god awful. But that's a different discussion to be had. That being said, the. He's got an absolutely awful season. I think, I think De Gea has it a lot. To be no, De Gea should add more. He should be a lot more. But that's not, even, that's not even where I'm trying to go with this. I'm looking at you, – you look at the, the squad as a whole. Your greatest – your only really respectable – not even respectable, but something you can kind of stand by is your front, your front five, more or less. I mean, Rashford, Fernandez, Martial, Greenwood. Um, Cavani, I mean, Cavani. Cavani – no, listen, listen. Pogba, Pogba won a World Pogba. Cup. You can't take that away from him. No, I, I, so I actually have – I think we should sell him. But Pogba won a World Cup. 
with Fred. Like, yeah, no, I think I, I have respect for Pogba. He, he can perform at a very high level when he can, when he wants to, I guess. But going back to those, those, those star five players, and then you're looking at the rest of the team, it doesn't even matter how good those players are, who you sign. It's also how they play together. It's the coach's yeah. relationship with the substitute's relationship with the, uh, with the starting players. It's the relationship amongst the field. I've never watched a side like Manchester United, who is uh, historically one of the greatest clubs in history, one of the most expensive clubs in, his, in history currently, despite the, the, the current state. Um, I've never seen them look this out of sync. It's like, and it's, and it's not just Ole. Ole's not a good, he's a, he's a garbage manager. He doesn't deserve to be the manager of, of uh, Manchester United. That has been known. That's like the most cold take ever. What I think is, is like you're saying, Barky, is with the, with the board. There is a top-down problem. It, and it's also going bottom-up. Because not only is the board not backing Ole financially, they're also messing with him. They're saying, oh, we're going to sign Sancho. Oh, we're going to sign this guy and this guy and this guy. But it's, it's not happening. And then they sign, what was his name? Ahmad Traore, who, who might be pretty good. He's a young guy. And they sign Edinson Cavani. Like, these guys are not Manchester United talent. He's, they're not the Manchester United players that you, you would expect to see. Now, Cavani in his prime, maybe. But he's not. He's no longer. He's pretty old now. He's got a couple seasons to go. And he'll give you, he'll give you like you said, an Ibra style, a Sanchez style, Mkhitaryan, even Di Maria. But in the end, he's not going to do – he's not going to hold the – hold up the standard that Manchester United has. Now, the solution, I personally, I believe, like I said, it's a top-down problem. The board – either needs a, a change of mind, some therapy, or they got to go. There is, there is no justification for a club as incredibly large and incredibly rich to, to just to – not, to not, you know, take risks. I mean, they're not investing seriously in, in players like – I'm not saying – I don't have names, but I'm saying quality players, young players. They signed Cristiano Ronaldo – just because they wanted to at that time during Alex Ferguson's time. Now, Alex Ferguson had had a couple of years and he had had time. I don't think Ole can be given that time either. So it's, it, you keep working your way down and there's many problems. Yeah. That's and I, I, have, I have two things to say. The first is, you know, I think if you look at the transfer window for United and, and I, 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 I watch, I watch plenty of, of pundits talk about this, but obviously Gary Neville is a club legend and, you know, he said his biggest takeaway from the transfer window was, you know what, at the end of the day, Tellez is a good signing. And the other two, Cavani and the young guy from Atalanta, you know, they could prove to be good signings, but they're not inspiring. No, not at all. I think so. So Tellez is, Tellez is a good guy to bring in. And trust me, like we all know, United needed another defender. Tellez is a good signing. Um, but if you think about it this way, like, it's just – it seems like there's something missing at the top of United because if they – so even if you, even if you don't bring in Tellez, if you, if you just bring in Sancho this window, I think it's a better window than what they've done because yeah. you're not only bringing in a really good young player, but you're bringing in a sense that the, the, the people who are important and the people who make decisions at the club want to, want to please the fans because 
and they want, and they're willing to spend the money to bring somebody in because at the end of the day, if you, I mean, if United would have put all the money that they spent on this transfer window towards Sancho and they kept, they kept going back and forth in this weird cycle with Sancho, yeah. if they would have just, if they would have just said, you know what, we're going to spend a little bit more than we want to. We're going to buy Sancho. I think United fans would have said, okay, we'll take it. We, yeah. see, we, we see that the, the, the board cares. We see that they're listening to us. We see that they want to want to bring in young players, especially a young English player who should be playing in the Premier League, not the Bundesliga. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think Sancho, if, if United should have brought in Sancho. Yeah. One thing um, on that. Um, yeah. It, like I totally agree with you. I think, like you said, Sancho alone would have been a better signing than Tellez and Cavani and Ahmad Traore. Mm-hmm. And with that, it's incredibly. Um, like you've been touching on, is incredibly psychological. The relationship that the, the club, the club board needs to have with their fans is one that is trust. They believe, oh, when there's someone we're interested in, we're willing to go for them. And you'd see it, you see it with, um, with Liverpool in the last two, with Jota and Thiago. They weren't messing around. There was no... There was no tingling with the, you know, kind of hanging it in front of us and then just saying, nah, never mind. You know, it's not worth it. He's too expensive. He's too old, whatever. They went for it. And something that Manchester United had was they went for it. They didn't care. There wasn't, I mean, I don't know enough about the history and I don't know about the signing. So I, I, I'm just a guy talking, but it seems when you watch, when they, there was a certain level of, of faith, trust, that when they were going to go for it, it didn't matter who they signed. It's how those guys played when they were signed. So it could turn out that Cavani has a fabulous career, leads United to a incredible, not leads United, lead as in physically leads United yeah. to an cr- incredibly successful next couple seasons. Maybe not, but it's the way it's all been gone about, the way it's yeah. kind of been – it's kind of like they were saying, they were dangling Sancho in front of them the whole time. And they were like, yeah, we'll just take Cavani and these two other guys. And it just doesn't, it's not satisfying. It's not. And now like there it's, there's a, there's gotta be some, you know, compromise here, but the compromise that the board needs to take is let's spend some fucking money. Let's get someone who not only like maybe Sancho does nothing, but the club feels like we we have a, a trusting relationship with our fans so that we know when we like someone, we're going to get them. We're Manchester United. I don't care what you think, like that kind of mindset. So yeah. I agree with you, Bern, totally. And the other, the other thing I was going to say, I'll make it short. Um, we've been talking about United a lot. But <laughs> as I think as Liverpool fans, we can also, and, and I, I'll tell Bart this, like you've also got to appreciate that a club in the grand scheme of things, a club is going to go through ups and downs. Yeah. And there was a time when I was supporting Liverpool that we had Andy Carroll, Jay Spearing, um, Simon Mignolet, um, Yaya Torre, John Flanagan, you know, Colo players, Colo Torre, not yeah. Yaya. <laughs> uh, you know, players that, that as much as, as much as much heart and as much passion as they had for the club, you knew it. You knew in the bottom of your heart these guys aren't going to meet the demands that Liverpool, the Liverpool, they're not going to meet the expectations that Liverpool has as a, as a club. As you know, with with United and Liverpool both, there comes a certain expectation. You know, you can you can 
you can try your best, but at the end of the day, those clubs are about winning trophies. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to you have to have as much as as much as players will try their best, you have to have a squad that can win trophies. And more than that, I think United is at a point right now where they don't have they don't actually have a squad that could compete for the if you're talking about the trophies that really matter, sure, they could win an FA Cup if they get together a run of really, games. It's really the Premier League, the Champions yeah, League. Not, yeah, they're not going to compete for the Premier League. They're not going to c- compete for the Champions League. And what you saw with Liverpool is – and I'm not just saying Klopp. I, I think the shift for Liverpool really started with Rodgers. Obviously, That's under Rodgers, we should have won a league. We, no, we, we bottled it. It is. But, it is now. But I, I really don't think that Ole is even at the level of Rodgers. Like, no he's way. just – United I – just, I just think the board at United well, made, it, made him the manager because of what he had done for the club. And as we've seen many times with, with people with, – with managers at big clubs, it has to be somebody who can – who has a track record, who knows yeah. what they're doing. Ole doesn't have that. And I think – I think what you're really going to see is, and as we've seen with Ancelotti at Everton, what you really need to turn a club around is a manager because you can have the players at the club. Yeah. Dom Calvert-Lewin under Ancelotti has become like monster, absolutely unbelievable. He's very. And I think it really starts with that. So I think I think the next step for United, and whether that's the current board or, you know, I think Woodward Woodward could be forced out, but I think no, what they really no, need to do is Woodward needs to be forced out. But I think what they really need to do is bring in a, is bring in a real world-class manager who's, who's going to make the decisions of the club. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you know, I, I think we, we've, talked, we've talked plenty about United. Yeah, we, can, we could keep going forever we now. Can move on, we can move on to whatever else we want to talk about. Yeah. But um, on that note, I got to piss, so we'll be back. All right. <laughs> all right, so we're back. <clears throat> and... Um, so you guys were asking about the ranch. I'll give you a little little in on what's up. So usually uh, a regular day, I start at eight um, and I work. It's an eight-hour day, more or less. We work from eight to five usually, and I get an I get about an hour at twelve. Uh, about an hour, yeah, and I'll have lunch there, just hang out, you know, um, and. So most days, actually, no, every day is different is kind of how, which is really awesome about this. So you're, you're always on your toes. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do in two days. I don't even know. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow actually for work. I just know I'm, <laughs> I have work at eight and I got to show uh-huh. up. Um, but so for the first couple of weeks, I mean, not really, I guess it kind of changes, but for when I was, I had to do a quarantine for the first two weeks and I spent, um, probably 10 days of it, you know, rolling up just old fence. And it took me, I mean, I was garbage at it, but it took me a while and I got to get better at that. Then I was picking up like these movable dams in the ditches and the irrigation fields. So that was whatever. But then a big part of it has been, um, we, there's, they have 1200 cows, by the way. Uh, on 70,000 acres. So it's the scale of these things is ridiculous. It's huge. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating really how I always, I never could have imagined that they'd have so much and so big amounts, but um, they, uh, 
yeah. So then we, um, what else, have, what else have I done? So I've chased cows, you know, we've had to herd them, um, which is fun. It gets pretty annoying because there's always one, they're scared shitless of everything, scared for their life for just about everything, which is fascinating considering I had no like concept of, of what, how a cow reacts to whatever, really how they live. Um, and they basically eat 25 pounds a day, which is in- insane. The mothers and the bulls, well, mothers, cows, really full-grown cows are about 1,200 pounds, 1,100, 1,200 pounds. Calves range, like the new, very young calves within, you know, three months old are like 200 pounds. Um, and then ba- basically a year old or so, under a year, they're about 500 to in 550 pounds. It's fascinating. They're huge. Uh, they don't look that big, but they're mass. They just have a lot of mass. Um, and so I've had a lot of that hurting them. They've sometimes will fight back. So you, they, they don't actually come at you because they're scared of us, but they'll like try and run away from the herd and go. Cause the whole thing is we'll move them from their last nursing spot to a new nursing spot or new place to eat. And so there was something that is an instinct in cows is that they, they can go back to the last place they nursed where you can put them anywhere on the planet and they'll make it their way back. It's kind of a pretty cool thing. Um, maybe not to that extent, but you know, they, they have an understanding of the direction they need to go. So chasing cows, I've had to wrestle calves, which is wild. <laughs> um, I've gotten, I haven't gotten like kicked or anything, but I've gotten, oh, I've gotten kicked. That's not true. I've been, I've been kicked a good amount of times and they have a lot of force behind those kicks. Um, I've had to, yeah, man. <laughs> they, we, should get them on the team. Hmm? we should get some cows onto the team. Stick them up. <laughs> Dude, that'd be great. Except they're scared. <laughs> of everything. So they also would suck. Um, yeah. So other than, let's see what else I've had to, I've learned the machinery, like I was telling you guys earlier, you know, using this, it's called a skid steer. It's kind of like a smaller tractor, but with a bucket in front of it or, you know, kind of arms. Then I've learned to use this thing called a backhoe, which is like, it's instead of a bulldozer, it's kind of got, well, it's got, you know, like I said, a backhoe. It's got the bucket in front, but it's on wheels instead of on, on treads or on track. Um, And then there's, I've also learned, well, I haven't learned yet on the bulldozer. I have, I have a four-wheeler. I get to drive around. I've been given a truck as well, um, like kind of for my own personal use. It's a 1995 Chevrolet S10. It drives in stick, so I know how to drive stick now, which is fun. Um, I've learned a lot about the agricultural – because there's basically two parts of the ranch. There's the cows, dealing with the cows, and then there's the, all the agriculture. And, there's, and with agriculture, it's pretty much all – the feed. They don't grow anything and they sell. It's all just growing hay, alfalfa, grass, all that for feeding cows. Um, and they have to maintain it all the time. They're in a drought right now. One of the worst droughts they've had in a long time. It's a shame, but you know, they're managing, they have to buy hay, which is kind of the, the alternative to growing their own. Um, but other than that, I mean, I've been pulling up fence, like I was saying. I've been building fence. I've been electrocuted by electrical fence, which is not fun. Um, I've, um, I'm blanking out. I mean, it's been almost a, it's been over a month now, so it kind of changes what you're doing every day. 
but yeah, for the most part, it's, it's kind of like maintenance. It's pretty much maintenance of cows, maintenance of the land, maintenance of machinery. Um, but, um, yeah, other than that, I mean, learning, getting to know these people has been awesome. They're really, they're totally different from any lifestyle, any, I mean, well, it's totally different from any lifestyle I've ever had, but it's also the people are totally different than anyone I've really met in that their, their, um, circle is very close. It's down to the family members and those who work on the ranch, which is one other family. And, um, and then people who've married into the family. So it's, it's limited and they have kind of a pretty, it's not like they have a narrow view. Like they just don't care about certain things. They don't care about politics that much. You know, they hate Trump, but like, that's it. They're not, they're not blindly kind of just because they're not a polarized group for one, which is great. Um, but they're, they're still a very, I mean, relatively conservative group of people as this, the state of Wyoming is. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just different and <laughs> it's hard to explain, but what I was going to say about like the conservative ness of all of it is that it's not what you think it is. You know, when you, when we hear, especially in like, like I was saying, we're, we're liberal college and especially where I live is incredibly, or predominantly liberal, liberal, um, the, they aren't what the concept of conservative to liberal people is like small minded, won't change their mind ever and are, are generally stupid and racist. They're not that, not even close. They're, they're very intelligent people. They have a certain lifestyle. So those, so there are aspects of their life that has, that is conservative because it works for them and that's how it functions. But for the most part, very intelligent, open-minded. When presented with reasonable information or reasonable, um, you know, perspective, they'll they'll consider it. Maybe even change their mind on certain things. But um, yeah, it's just different. Um, and you know, I kind of wanted to transition it back to you guys in that how is that type of I mean, culture really? Um, what is it like in the UK? Yeah. Um... So I think like you said a few things that, you know, I can kind of relate to. So like, and just coming, first of all, just like putting yourself into a new environment, you're, you're going to come across like kind of new, a new like train of thought. Um, you're going to come across people who act in a different way to what you're used to. And I think for me, um, so like the two places I've spent most of my time in the last few years are Amherst college campus which is a very liberal space. Um, and then Austin, the city where my family is, is also, even though it's in Texas, which is a typically conservative state, it's a very, very uh, progressive city. And I think most of the people I associate with, and especially like the high school I went to is a very liberal space. So um, I think I was definitely like exposed to a similar train of thought. Um, and I think something that, like I, I and probably Bark too have experienced in England is like people, you know, like you said before, the U.S. is people, people in the U.S. like, and, and this is a, this is something that's true everywhere. Like people like to, people like to talk down upon where they're from. Like people, people, as much as you love where you're from, you also like to point out the bad parts and people in the U.S. all like to talk about, especially, especially the more liberal side of the U.S. likes to talk about how racist the U S is. 
mm-hmm. how much wrong there is in the U.S., which I, which I can, which I totally associate with, and I think the U.S. is a very unique place, and I think has very unique problems because of the history of the country. Mm-hmm. But coming to coming to Europe and coming to England, especially, I think you're exposed to a different culture, and you know something that I've experienced here is like people people just the the idea of political correctness is is less like i feel like the the very conservative or the very excuse me the very liberal um train of thought is more is even more um concentrated here like the vast majority of people are kind of against the idea of political correctness and kind of just don't care about about jokes that yeah that um you know, like homophobic, not even homophobic jokes, like, yeah. like calling someone gay, calling, you know, just, just saying that type of thing, the type of thing that mocking, you, it's mocking someone's identity is what it's really is. Yeah, mocking someone's identity. And it, it's, it's more, it's like you come across, you come across people here. They, it's just like, it's just the way people speak. And yeah, I think, I think it's coming from, coming from very, um, coming from very different places. Like, coming from very different places and coming from places where that's not accepted. It's, it, it, it's just kind of like a a slap in the face and you're like, Oh wow. Like you don't really know what to say because being in a different country, you're like, well, I don't know what, like (laughs) you don't want to, you don't want to intrude on someone and you don't want to like correct them. But um, it's like, I definitely experienced that, you know, people just saying like, just be throwing around words that yeah you, you don't want to. I know what you're saying. I know absolutely. So I, I definitely I think I think there's a lot of parallels to be made between the situation that you have where you are and but but then again people here are also very open to to talking and and you know when they hear our American accents they just are so curious about where we're from and they just want to talk about like the amount of times we've we've just come across people who want to talk about Trump and. <laughs> and want to talk about yeah america like people here people here and i this is another interesting thing that i've experienced like i would say 10 years ago the u.s was like the place that everyone wanted to be absolutely like it was like it was like the promised land i've definitely seen a shift in opinion and now it's like people kind of like to make fun of america um but i think it's still definitely like it's like being American and, and having American accent is like such a talking point and people really latch onto it. Um, so I think it's just been, it's been really cool. It's been, it's been nice to, to experience a new culture. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of similarities between the, the, like the experiences we've had, even though we're in such different places. Yeah. I mean, well, I was thinking about uh, what you said earlier with, the political correctness. I mean, that is something that when you were describing people here that were, you know, willing to throw the words around, but still open to conversation. If you, if you have a regular conversation with them where you're not criticizing or making, or even reacting in a way that, I mean, it's just simply reacting in a way that is makes you attacking, make you feel like you're not, you're automatically from the start disagreeing. It's, it's a difficult, it's difficult to have that conversation. But with these, and like you're saying, people are open to this conversation. It's regular discourse. That's what society's built on, built on, is these conversations we have where 
someone presents something that you may not have been used to, may not agree with, may not even disagree with, but just didn't consider, um, it's easier to have that conversation when you're not yelling at someone, when you're not criticizing them. And I've had this, I've had hundreds of conversations about stuff that they, I mean, since, like I said, the world is, the world is smaller for them, that things that you see in the news more, I mean, even beyond that social media, we're seeing the concept of normalization kind of coming into a series of uh, facets in society. And like I was saying with identity, um, it's really come down to that. I mean, you think about the concepts that we most have to now think about when we're, when we're, um, or I guess it's being forced upon us, but the concept that you have to think about when you're saying or describing someone or saying, um, saying anything to them sometimes in the sense that if you're joking, if you're just joking in that, in that, in that, uh, setting it, um, it usually has to be something outside. It's something about that person. Sometimes you can't, it's the easiest to to think of, you know, making jokes about someone when you're, um, when you know them so well, you have these, these parts of their identity that you know. Um, so for example, calling you a scouser is a joke. Like that's something you're from Liverpool. There's nothing you could have done about that. Making fun of you because you're English. That's not something that you're born in England really, but um, that is not something that you could have controlled. And it, uh, but it's also not something that is effective of your actual personality. It's kind of, it's kind of the differentiation between personality, who you are as a person versus who, where you were born, what color skin you are, who you, um, or what, what, uh, what gender you identify by, or, um, even, I mean, it's really simply that it's, it's other things. It's smaller. It's small things like that, really, that don't actually, you're still going to be Bernie white. It doesn't matter how I, I still going to see this personality behind it, that it wasn't yeah. with, um, your identity and it's, it's come up big if political correctness. And I just think it's important. I think it's important with like, as you said, and, and what it really comes down to is like with those jokes, as you said, it's like what you're really doing is la is putting a label on someone. And mm -hmm. I think, I think what there's a, there's a, there's a fine line between when you, when you're putting a label on someone, there's putting a label on someone in a joking manner, but a lot of these things end up coming down to the meaning behind that label. And yeah, a lot of the times when you, when you label, like for example, in England, being a being a scouser, being someone from Liverpool yeah. to the rest of the country normally comes along with negative connotations, and I think that I think that it's important to realize when you when you do make jokes, if you want to call them that, it's like yeah, I wouldn't say yeah, it can be a joke to you, but but when you make those when you make those comments to someone, it can it can it can make them question their own you know, absolutely like how they identify themselves. That was absolutely. I mean, you're thinking of. Is, yeah, no, I know what you're saying. And I think that what I'm thinking of with that is, is that you, I mean, not you, but the, the people who are able to take more offense to that nowadays are more of the people who are thinking more about what you're saying than we, I mean, a podcast, obviously you're, you're always, you're having this conversation, but the first thing I say to you, you're not going to remember, you're not going to remember that I, uh, called you this type or this type. I'm not going to, you know, you don't remember like the exact words that conversation I was having, you know, it wasn't the way I addressed you. You don't remember that. It's not that big a part of it. You, you remember the conversation itself 
in situations like this where you're um i i don't know it's it just feels political correctness not in that there i agree with i mean actually to start with before i continue criticizing political correctness i agree with a lot of it i'm not against most of the the not most i'd say a lot of them because i don't know all of the political correct terminologies but the one that come on the top of my head i agree with i should not say these things i don't i have no reason to i have no initiative to um hold on a minute um it was good to have you man it was a lot of fun what uh so what is your day-to-day also one thing just like what do you guys do most days yeah so i mean our our typical daily routine is so we wake up like wake up around seven thirty, um and then so we're working a job that is nine to five so and it's about a 25 to 30 minute commute to the office so mm-hmm. we wake up around 7 30 shower um make something to eat quickly um and then head to the office um and then our job recently has been um so we're working at my family company and uh we've been like uploading products to their website so um like take we basically like have this have this big like led photo box that we'll we'll take a picture of a product um get the good get good lighting uh photoshop it so that it looks good for yeah. the website um and then we have to basically like put up put in a bunch of a bunch of data entry for the product so that it can be tracked through the system um write a little description for it and stuff and then um basically do that every day upload a bunch of products try to find stuff that's going to sell well on on the online store and then obviously you can't upload certain stuff because if it's if it yeah. won't ship well if it's not worth it for the mm-hmm. shipping cost so it, it's it's been a cool experience and so we've been doing that um for the last couple last few weeks um and then so typically after work well there's a gym at the like near the office um that we use so we'll go to the gym after do a workout and then you know by the time we get home it's like 6 30 or 7 so then we have to make dinner um and to be honest most days we're super tired after after work and working out so you know make dinner watch some tv we've been watching a few shows and then um get to bed and kind of rinse and repeat and then we've been trying to enjoy our weekends definitely loving the premier league and oh yeah you know being, being in england it's super cool to watch the prem so yeah it's been it's been a good time and hopefully in the next next couple of weeks we'll get to we're hoping to um, go to a go to a few places in England. Maybe maybe get to London to see a few teammates and um, see something new. But yeah, it's been it's been really good. That's good to hear. Well, I'm glad to have you guys on, man. I mean, guys, <laughs> have you guys on, guys? Um, it was a great time. I mean, so I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing from you guys with how it goes with later on in the <clears throat> in England um yeah all right be good guys thanks for having us on and i hope i hope that you know this continues because it's i think it's a really cool cool thing you're doing and i hope i hope i hope you can have a few a few more interesting guests on and i wish you the best of luck absolutely all right thanks guys have a good one thanks Deeks. yep